All right, welcome to another Rags and Riches Secrets. Today we're going to go over, we're, we're going to continue looking at the fourth turning and the beginning of the end. Today what we're going to go over as cover is transportation so that we can understand or appreciate what it means to be at the beginning of the end. This is, transportation is so critical. And once you understand, you see how it plays out, then you can fully grasp what's going to take it or what's about ready to take and transpire. So if you go back to the beginning of time, um, you look at how people have been able to ship and transport things across the ocean. Well, well, we weren't transporting or shipping stuff across the ocean. What we were doing is we had all the different communities. Everybody had to build, grow, and do everything local because trying to figure out how to get stuff from, say, like uh, Britain to France back in the day or any of these other countries, it was so painful because we didn't have mass-scale transportation such as railroads or shipping lanes so that we could successfully put things across the water. And so we had a long slog as we started trying to figure out how to take and to industrialize. Then, all of a sudden, things finally changed. Things started to break free. And so check this out. Moving stuff on water remained cheaper, but rail lines that could be built to go anywhere that was flat and transporting stuff via rail was only twice the cost to op, uh, twice the cost to operate of a ship, compared to the 20 times the cost for pre-rail land transportation. Only having to pay double was a true revolution. Now you look at how this took, or this, the introducing the railroad took, and it played out, and it it changed everything for like a country like Russia. See, it says suddenly Russia grain could reach international markets, and oh boy, did it. The Russian rail program ended or began in earnest in 1866. In just 15 years, the Russian network roughly quadrupled to nearly 15,000 miles, adding more track than all Europe had in the previous half century during that same window. And here's where Russia's exports all of a sudden exponentially changed. Okay, Russia's grain increased at about the same rate. So you come back here to 1885, and they're doing about, about 1,200 1200 metric tons of food that they're taking transporting to nearly 4,200 tons. So it's a nearly quadrupling effect is what it took and it played out inside Russia. So then what happened is you got America that came in and started figuring out how to take and to improve the system. Now, take a look at this. The East India Com Trade Company had about 50 tons of tea a year at the start of the 19th century and 15,000 tons towards the end of it. Today, that same 15,000 tons is unloaded. It's loaded or unloaded somewhere in the world every 45 seconds or so. You see what took and it took or transpired? What used to be just a, a, a massive massive feat to accomplish we can now accomplish this thing in 45 seconds that's how the gdp changed so it says at the at the the at the or the maximum extent of the imperial area uh, 1919 or 1919 combined trade of both within empires and among countries only accounted for 10 percent of gross domestic product uh, as of the late uh, order era that had tripled um, without actually having empires and so what took and it took or transpired is after after World War II took and occurred. Okay, the Americans came in and says, "Look, 
we're we're not going to do this again. We're not going to rinse and repeat. We're not going to have Germany and and you you guys doing this again. So we're going to rewrite your constitution, and your constitution is going to prohibit you from making those decisions again. But on top of that, we have a problem with Russia, and we are going to create this union where we work together, and the United States will now protect protect and patrol the oceans to make it safe. And this had a very massive impact in allowing all countries to, to prosper. So what it did is it, it granted in exchange was truly transformational. The Americans would ensure that all countries um, on all continents would enjoy the full benefit of access to the global ocean. What this triggered is, is shipping containers started moving on the pond. They became bigger, better, and slower. So put it into put it into capacity or to, to an understanding. This is why you want bigger shipping containers moving on the pond. It says, okay, well, the capital cost to build a vessel, build a vessel all increased with size. It is not an in a linear increase. To double the size of a vessel, it probably, um, it probably only costs about 80% more to build. Double the size of that ship from 75 to 150, 300, 600, 1200, 2500, 5000, 10,000, and to today, maximum of 20,000 containers. And if you, if you racked up all the, the, the per container savings, it's in excess of 80%. Similarly, the number of crew required to babysit 10,000 containers or 5,000 um, or 1,000 containers, um, it's all about the same. So the fuel usage rate that allowed the same uh, fuel usage rate that follows the same general tr trend as ship size double the size of the ship to reduce the fuel by about 25%. So then what happens is, is then there's speed. So fuel costs at large is about 60% of the voyage cost. With faster trips consuming so much fuel, the trick is, is to figure out how to slow the ships down bring it slower. So what happens is, is now you've got boats or these ships, big container ships that are going about 18 miles and some of them are barely even touching 14 miles an hour traveling out on the water. Okay, what does all this mean? It means that relative to 1945 standards, modern container ships are 16 times the size of the whole modern, uh, modern crude carriers well, they're about 45 times larger is what it is. So each container that, or, or, or shipping container or, or sitting out there is about 45 times larger. Why, is this, why does this matter? Because now we're taking and we're building shipping containers. We're building these bigger, better boxes. Before, you used to have to pack, unpack, repack, and repack it again, trying to figure out how to get all these products to different locations. Now we just put this big thing inside a big old shipping container and use the big shipping container as being transported. And so by 2019, shipping containers carried approximately 50% of total globe, uh, global trade by value. And that's up from basically zero in 1960. Wow, right? About right, right around 1960, it was almost nothing. Now it accounts for almost 50% of global trade by value. So you can see there's this massive explosion. We have got boats. We've got all this stuff sitting out on the ponds now. Okay, it's it's very it's very important. So the cool thing is, so if you take a big old ship, you make it slow, you introduce containers. What happens is, is the transportation costs 
is about 1% of the goods. Where before or, or having these big old boats, it used to make up 99% of the cost, okay? Now it's only 1%. So you can see there's just these economies of scale that really, really started coming into play as we started figuring out how to ship stuff on the pond, okay? So here's what happened. This, it, it dramatically, completely shifted all of our supply chains. See, Americans didn't just simply outlaw the conflict from their allies. Americans safeguarded all global shipping as if it were their own internal commerce, um, ushering into an age of utterly inexpensive uh, security for people to take into ship. So here's some of the big, big, big benefactors, okay? So South Korea, Brazil, India, China were four of the biggest who suddenly all of a sudden had held roles in the global marketplace. Like pre-America coming in, nobody. Now that America came in and secured it, all of a sudden these guys are actually players in the game. This is considerable, okay? So take a look at this. Now, if you're trying to figure out how does all of this transportation, how does, how does this all unwind, let's look at the big things that, that, well, it's kind of like we've set ourselves up, and this is how we set ourselves up so that in the future, we could actually step into a big problem. So now what we have is we have these big old fat mother beasts sitting out on the pond, okay? These things go very, very slow because the ocean is safe, okay? When we take and we transport things, we have thousands of containers on one of these transports, okay? And when we take and we transport them, they're, a lot of them are intermediate products, so, and they're built by a workforce that is very, very specialized and only doing a very small portion of the entire supply chain process. So that way we can get scale, but this affects a lot of countries that build lower quality. So now you can have, you can have locations or countries you can have smart countries that can do less smart work. So, for example, um, you could have a very, very high-end semiconductor facility that can then make uh, high-end chips, but then they can make chips for automobiles and toys. And then now what we have is we have these ports, ports around the world. These are not just tiny ports. These are big, massive, behemoth ports that can take and receive goods. But these goods are not delivered in proximity to where the end consumer is. They're just massive ports that can handle it and then become distribution hubs to push the product out. Um, and then our modern cities uh, are so large and their economies are so specialized that they require regular access to not just huge swaths, or swaths of territory, but they require access to the entire globe. Think of an iPhone. Um, iPhone, I, I've, I've mentioned it before, but it, it's spread across, I'm trying to remember, it's probably spread across 30 countries. And they, there's probably some, I don't know, 200, 300 manufacturing facilities across the entire globe. Everybody is specialized in making just that one piece or one component of it. So how does this all play out? Now, you've seen what COVID did. Um, put, put that into mind. Consider this. Says says even uh, even brief delays in only a handful of ports would be sufficient to force a ras rationalization of an entire industry, to say nothing of actually losing ships. As the saying goes, it takes thirty thousand pieces to make a car. If you only have twenty nine thousand nine hundred ninety nine pieces, you've got an oversized paperweight. 
You remember during COVID, you got all these car manufacturers. They couldn't get access to the silicone chips to make the vehicle. Therefore, they have all of these cars just sitting. So you, you drove around, you're like, wow, why are all the dealerships out of cars? Huh, imagine that. Came down to a part. They didn't have the chip. I was trying to buy Polaris Razors. I was on a waiting list because they didn't have the chips to run the display. Collectively, then they came out and they said, we're not actually even taking any orders whatsoever for those side-by-sides because we can't get access to the parts. So their entire, that product, the entire supply chain literally just fell right off the table. Even these really cool cameras that I take and I use now. Like I ended up waiting six months because we, they did not have access to the chip to make these cameras uh, functional. And so you can see just a little, just a little ripple has huge impacts in how things play out for us. And so here's kind of the back of the envelope analysis so that you can understand how, how by reducing the cost of shipping actually affects the overall entire supply chain. So doing a back of, the, uh, back of an envelope analysis, a 1%, so reducing transportation costs by 1% results in an increased trade volumes of 5%. You don't have to go very far to see that the reverse works in order. I remember, like I, I work in that the housing sector. I work with solar, but I work and talk with different builders. They, they used to pay $5,000 for a shipping container to take and to get across the pond here so they could get access to their good. That went from $5,000 to $60,000. It completely disrupted the supply chains. All of a sudden, you got builders that are trying to figure out how to build sheetrock out of materials that they've never used. You're trying to figure out how to build components. Like everything changed. I, I, my friend, who's a builder, he basically he hired somebody on a full-time basis that they had one job: find alternative parts that I can use to take into build homes because I don't have access to it. And every time he set foot in the store and he saw something, he had to buy it up because he knows at some point in the future he's going to require that part and he won't be able to complete his project. So it changed the way we it changed the way we do everything. Like uh, I was looking at the news today, take and go look at prescriptions right now and access to getting uh, child medication and stuff. The shelves are bare. The stuff is totally empty and you're asking yourself why, okay? That's supply chain disruptions that are already taking place uh, and it's having, it's having significant ramifications. It, I mean, it's two, 2022, we're talking two years ago and it still has not worked its way out of the system. So what made everything come together is the order, the order made, so because we created, the Americans created this order, geography no longer was significant. It, it, it didn't have the same effect or ramifications that it had previously. And so take for example, so some of these crazy, crazy demographics or locations that would have never, ever prospered without the interventions of the Americans making the pond safe to ship on, is you got Japan, China, Korea, Taiwan, um, and to a lesser degree, the Philippines, Vietnam, Indonesia, Malaysia, Thailand, and Singapore. Without America securing those, they don't. these guys do not have the ability to project to secure shipping lanes. And as a result of us securing it, these guys came into the game and actually became players where they could not have previously done so. So if it looks at this, if you like, if you look at this, it's kind of a, they, they really have a considerable vulnerability. 
they have even more vulnerability in these demographics, okay? Take for example, so in East Asia, you've got, like, they don't know how to get along. So China hates, uh, China hates Japan. Japan wants to colonize Korea, okay, and parts of China. Taiwan wants a nuclear deterrent, and the South Koreans hate everybody. That's how the game's played out. Um, and kind of even making it worse, with, except with the exception of Japan, none of these guys have the ability to project powers to, their, to protect their strategic trading lanes. So outside of the United States, like if you look at China, say China, they would have to, they would have to punch through waters of multiple hostile co uh, combatants. So from a half different, from a half dozen different countries and choke points to finally reach their end market. Okay, their their navy is largely capable of doing coastal operations. Okay, so take the second region that that's at a huge risk. So you've got the Persian Gulf. The Persian Gulf has here's their product, oil. That's their product. If you like, without Americans taking and patrolling it, it wouldn't actually play out. In fact, that whole area is so crazy and so politically crazy that, like, the Americans had to put themselves in a very, very painful position, a situation, trying to figure out how to navigate and protect the global supply. But see, we needed the oil because look at how it plays out. Oil powered global trade. Global trade powered the American alliance. And the American alliance powered the American security. But now take a pause for a second. The United States is no, we are now an exporter. We figured out our own oil problem and we are now an exporter. So now the question is, is if the Americans are no longer wholly dependent on needing oil from the Middle East, why would we want to protect or be in those locations anymore? You see the question? See, if you're, you're probably having this exact same question play out in your head. If I don't need the oil, what, what's the point? Because that was the point that, that, that existed. Now, am I saying that it that nobody cares? Heck yeah, people care. So the region's primary exports is natural gas and oil, but almost nothing else. They have nothing else that goes out. So here's what this region requires. Okay, it requires imports of food, technology, electronics, white good, clothing, cellular goods, computer goods, machineries, planes, automobiles, building materials, pretty much everything, down to including labor of both skilled and unskilled. They even import their camels. Wow, that's, that's where that region takes and it sits. So they have, what they do have though, that oil is actually a very, very important product because it's the very product that South Asia, East Asia, and Europe all desperately need. But not any one of these countries really has the ability to project safety around the world to protect those shipping lanes so that they can get the goods that they actually need. You see the problem? Okay, so that's that's kind of how it's playing out right here. And so, like the United States, we have this massive military where we've done a really good job securing everybody. But some of the biggest losers in this entire equation, so if America stops projecting and protecting the shipping lanes, you've got countries like Japan, the United Kingdom, France, India, Turkey, and China that would be left to their own bloody chaos. They would have to figure out how to deal with it. So here's like Europe's problem. See, this very first, this very first bullet point, 
So if you're in Europe right now, you've probably noticed that the cost of your electricity went up like probably like 700% because they, they have to import all of their oil and all of their energy. So first off, they're really, really energy dependent. They need that oil. Second is they have a demographic problem. So the problem is, is they, they stopped having kids. And so now they've got all of these middle-aged people or they, ha they don't have the ability to repopulate and to regenerate their, their population because there's not enough young people in the childbearing years to replace the generation. So they're now, they're not a consumption society. They're not having to build a whole bunch of new houses. They're not having to go get a bunch of new fridges. They're not having to go increase their consumption. So what they really desperately need is the ability to export their goods to, to other nations throughout the world. Okay. Um, and then the, the third problem that these guys have is they have a bloody history. Like when these guys don't have access to resources, you've, you've seen historically that they create empires and they will start going out and taking the resources that they need. Um, that's kind of how that's playing out right here. So here's where the storm comes into play, okay? With, with the exception of the United States, um, Japan, Japan actually has a military that they could project. But the problem is, is they don't have sufficient to project everywhere like the United States does. And so the only way this whole thing really stays together is the United States projects its global military. Everyone has agreed not to target ships and all of that stuff is actually gone. So take a look right what's playing out right now with Russia. Okay, so the United States has come in, slapped some shit. The United States and our allies have slapped sanctions on uh, German oil. We're saying, look, we're not going to pay more than $50 a, or $60 a barrel. Okay, now Russia's got to figure out how to be able to export this oil to different locations. So historically, the United States, or uh, most likely Europe, has come in and said, okay, we will take and provide insurance to secure those shipping containers so that you, you feel like you're, you're, uh, you're insured, okay? What America has just recently done, for example, it, and our allies, we says we are no longer going to insure Russian shipping containers. Or in other words, without saying it out loud, but saying it out loud is, world, if you take and you were to go after a Russian shipping container, we have agreed that we are not insuring it. Therefore, we are not as likely to want to retaliate against you for taking and getting this, this like floating duck out on the pond where you need this resource desperately because we are no longer protecting or ensuring that that thing can exist. See what I mean? There's a breakdown that is literally starting to play out and you can see it right here and you can see it right now as it's playing out. Okay, so the Western Hemisphere... So like where we are in the United States, like we, we have a lot of things that have worked really, really well. The problem that we're going to have inside the United States, we have access to stuff, but what we're missing is a lot of manufacturing capacity for products that we like um, that vary from laptops to shoes. A lot of that stuff we had taken and outsourced and started building in countries like China and, and different places around the world. So we're going to have to figure out how to bring that industry back to the United States and if you look at the supply chain, you look at how shortages are still playing out. Like we, we're in a global supply chain shortage, okay? Um, and if you look at how that's playing out, you're like, okay, 
the answer is, is we're going to have to start figuring out how to bring this stuff home. People like think, oh, inflation is going to come down. Well, is inflation going to come down if the supply chain? Okay, okay, let's back up. Okay, here's what causes inflation. You don't have enough pro. In this case, you don't have enough products, but you have a lot of money. And so then what happens is, is everybody starts using all their money to buy products, which drives up the inflation. So if we step in here and we start disrupting the supply chains around the world, now all of a sudden you've got people that are saying, wait a minute, now there's less products and I still have money. Therefore, inflation is going to persist. So hopefully what the government's thinking is, is why don't we just kill demand so that people don't want to buy some stuff and they stop trying to, to do that. And if we kill enough demand, then we can bring inflation under control. But we really have a supply chain driven inflation. And as things are playing out in the world, this inflation is going to accelerate because as the shipping lanes and all this stuff break down, our access or ability to get good or get goods is dropping precipitously. Okay, it's just going to play out that way. So you have like the German block. The, the Germans, they're many, they're good at manufacturing. They have a large, so they have manufacturing capacity is largely in house, but all of the raw materials that they require to build it is absent. They need access to the raw materials to do it. They're great at manufacturing in-house, but they don't have the materials. Okay, the Japanese and Chinese are going to have to head out and secure. They're going to have to go get their food, their energy, their raw materials, and their markets. Those guys are straight up screwed. The Japanese did one thing right. They said, you know what? Build where you um, manufacture where you sell the products. And so you'll see that they brought Toyota and Honda and uh, different manufacturers inside the United States where they would take and do it. So good on them for being intelligent, recognizing that they have some considerable problems, but they need access to stuff to be able to do it. So good for them. Okay, where this where this really gets into a mess is is pirates. Like all of a sudden, you discover like you're a country and you need access to stuff. You're now that for the first time in a long, long time, pirates were going to come back as they start trying to figure out how to gain access to it. In fact. States are even going to jump in this and start sponsoring it because they want to be able to deny that they did it. So it's a step down from a full-on war um, and pretty much everybody's going to jump in on it because they've got to find ways to get access to their stuff as this stuff starts to unravel. And so everything that we've come to expect about transport since 1946 dies in this new world. So the big, slow, more specialized vessels are nothing more than floating tasty little morsel sitting on the water waiting for a pirate to show up and to have a tasty little lunch. And so all of a sudden, now you've got these big vessels going very slow that only work in a low threat world. And then they step into a, a higher threat world. So what, what ends up happening is it's a very high concentration of risk, massive container ship, sitting out there going very slow in an environment where it's not safe to take and operate such a vessel. See the problem? Starts to play out. So who are the biggest losers as we start scaling back on protecting the ponds? So the biggest losers, um, they are Korea, Poland, China, Germany, Taiwan, Iran, Iraq, and it's in that order. That's how it takes and it plays out. All right, so in, in summary, this is how we kind of bring this all together. Transportation 
is the connective tissue that holds the world together. And if anything, that's uh, if you've absorbed anything from going through this transportation history. For example, modern ships of all, all types require diesel fuel. Diesel requires oil. Supplying oil to the, the world requires the stability of the order. Think oil shipments are going to happen with the same volume and regularity, in the, or do you think the shipments are going to happen in the same volume and same regularity in the post world? Um, what sort of impact do you think what is going to happen on oil diesel shortages? What do you think that's going to have on transportation? Look at how it's playing out right now. So if if you got uh, Europe right now, for example, there if you got the take okay first world countries, first world countries have deeper, deeper pockets, are able to pay more money for oil. So right now you've got Europe that's just desperate for oil. They're paying probably close to 700% more for the cost of generating electricity. They burn the oil to make electricity. But then you take winter, you throw it on top of it. Now they need they need like natural gas and oil to be able to make electricity and to heat the home. So they're paying exorbitant amounts of prices. They're paying more for electricity than they're paying for their rent or they're paying for the mortgage. Just think about it. Pause for a second and say, what would, what would likely happen to you? So if your average electric bill is $150 a month, and your average natural gas bill throughout the entire year is $150 a month. So you're $300 a month on average. What if that went up 7x? So you're $2,100 a month for just those two products to be able to provide your house. Have you ever seen what happens to, to like a guy when he gets hangry? All of a sudden he's hangry, right? Like they become irritable. They're not, they don't, they don't play very well. What do you think it's going to be like in, in Europe or these other countries where all of a sudden they're irritable? They're cold. They're, they're like, they don't have the money to take into fund these things. And, but Europe and these, these first world countries have deeper pockets. But what if you're down in Africa? What if you're in South America? What if you're in these other countries that actually don't have the resources? You can see how things start falling apart. Like, let's say you're in Africa, you don't have the resources to bring in to buy the oil, okay? But you're in the supply chain making a low-value, low-quality piece of equipment. But you don't have the energy to manufacture anymore, or you can't manufacture it affordably. So now what? Then you see it's going to start trickling up into the next supply chain level, and the next supply chain level, and all of a sudden, we have a massive disruption. And so, that's transportation. Take uh, take what you will from it. It it's you're seeing it right here right now. It's unwinding. It's unwinding at an unprecedented rate. And so, and if it unwinds too quickly, you will we will. It's gonna be a lot of pain. There's a lot of pain now, and there's gonna be more pain. That, my friends, is another rags riches secrets, and I will talk to you later.